Hi, everyone, and welcome to Talent Talks. I'm Rob Adams. We have a special episode lined up today as we are excited to be joined by Catherine Brown and Leslie M. Stokes, Vice Presidents of Vetted Solutions, and Kristen McMahon, President of Robert H. Jackson Center. On today's show, these three female leaders will share their journeys into leadership roles as well as challenges they faced along the way. They will then share their thoughts on advancing women to the C-suite, how they currently feel companies are doing in promoting women to senior roles, and the future of women in the boardroom and in other C-suite positions. It's a great topic. I'm, I can't wait to learn more. Kathy, Leslie, and Kristen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Well, I know we have a lot to cover. Let's dive in. To start, Leslie, we want to focus on some of your career accomplishments and your path to success. So if you could, please describe your journey to the C-suite and share key steps along the process, as well as some some keys to rising to the top. Absolutely. So thanks, Rob, for having me, and, and thanks for giving us this opportunity to have this discussion. So my path to the C-suite was um, not traditional in the sense that I went from uh, corporate America and then I transitioned over to the association world. But I started off in pharmaceutical sales. Um, I did well in that, went back to school and got an MBA in international business. And that allowed me to advance um, through the ranks of uh, Merck and Company at the time. I had a great leader who gave me some career advice that as I was trying to go to the next level in in any role, to look for something where it's 50% of what I know and 50% stretch. And so it allowed me to think about different roles a little bit differently. And she also encouraged me not to be afraid of taking things that were a little bit off the beaten path because it was a great way to have visibility um, provided to you. So after doing the sales rep um, role and getting a master's in international business, I did an international stint where I was responsible for global marketing and global branding um, for much of Europe and a few other um, markets. And then I decided that my 50% stretch would be great to learn about over-the-counter medicines. So the Advil's and the Tylenol's and the Motrin's of the world, because for me, it was still pharma, but it was just doing it to the consumer. So I went into that role and then then transitioned into some things around RX to OTC switch and did some business development and some um, ventures that were really critical in the sickle cell disease space. The benefit of being an African-American leader in an organization is that there are times when they need certain individuals who have perspectives to bring that to the table. So while working in the sickle cell disease space, it afforded me the opportunity to be a key leader and work with an organization that we were in the process of doing a joint venture with, Um, and really provide them some insights as it relates to race and marketing and ways in which we should be approaching those individuals. I did that with Johnson & Johnson, and then I transitioned over to medical device. Um, A business opportunity came after some um, transitions and some um, uh, layoffs and cutbacks at J&J, and it allowed me to transition over to medical device and it allowed me to move into the Midwest marketplace. So that's how I got to be in Chicagoland um, as of now. I was minding my business three or four years into that role, having done really well, having led the African-American Leadership Business Resource Group, the Women's Leadership Business Resource Group, and really um, working on the largest um, acquisition that 
Baxter had at the time was like $4 billion acquisition to buy Gambro. And a headhunter, a recruiter called me and said, hey, we have a role at an association. Um, you're probably not thinking about it, but it might be an opportunity for you to use your skills that you've developed. Um, it's the American Medical Association. They need someone that can lead five business units, have 200 plus um, reports, and it has a high revenue generating responsibility. Would you be interested? And again, the stretch for me was not the marketing or the sales or the business development. It was the association space and learning something new. So as a lifelong learner, I took that opportunity. I did that. And then shortly thereafter, um, I found myself in an interim CEO role um, uh, working with a brain tumor association. And then the last position that I had before joining Vetted was at AHIMA, health information management role, doing chief marketing sales and product marketing. So the keys to my success have been taking things that are stretched, but allow 50% of what I know and then 50% growth. And then also leaning on the advice of mentors that are willing to help me to get to those next steps. So I'll stop there and see if we have any questions. <laughs> Well, as a follow-up, what were some of the challenges that you faced as you rose through the ranks? And how did you grow from those challenges to ensure you reached your final goal? Or are you at your final goal? <laughs> so some of the challenges, um, there were individuals who I think they were well-meaning at the time, but who would say things to me that they didn't think that I was ready for the next assignment. I remember specifically going to the um, head of HR and asking, hey, what do I have to do to make it to a senior director role? I report to the vice president and there's no other director that's reporting to the VP and they've given me the work of that um, previous VP in addition to these other you know, acquisitions and mergers that they've put me on. I was junior in title with lots of responsibility. And she just basically told me that I wasn't ready. She wasn't sure. She didn't have any real um, concrete um, direction to provide because I was really listening for what do I do differently. And, you know, I said to her, I'm, I will take any assignment. I will do whatever is required. But I need you to give me some guidance because I don't know how else to make that advancement. And shortly thereafter, from being a director at Baxter, is when the AMA asked me to be a senior vice president at their organization. So I never made it to be a senior director, and I never made it to be a vice president in that role. I went straight to SVP level. And I remember when I told her that I was leaving the organization and the role that I had, and I could tell on her face that she realized that a high-performing candidate had left and that she may have done them a disservice by not helping to transition me and helping to grow me in their environment so that I could be promoted appropriately. Wow. Wow. Amazing story. Uh, and congratulations on what you have done. And Kathy and Kristen, I'm not going to leave you out, but we talked before we started about different experiences. So that's my first question to both of you. How did your experiences differ? What challenges did you face during your rise in the ranks? So this is Kristen. I, I'll start. Uh, so I have been, I guess, in the sweet suite just for about three and a half years. And I made the transition from being a practicing attorney 
Uh, and I guess technically I was management level when I left that. I just didn't have anybody who reported to me uh, unless it was project specific for uh, some mergers and acquisitions. And for me, one of the challenges really was helping nonprofits understand how my legal resume translated into a resume that they would understand because they would see my experience and it was you know, law firm and in-house counsel and not see the project management, not see the budget management, not see the the people management of it. So it, it took me a little bit of time and actually with uh, some of Vetted Solutions help as well as some other, uh, I did hire a professional resume writer to help me reconceptualize that. Uh, and so that was one of my bigger challenges. And then I, I appreciate Leslie's 50-50 approach for me, especially I feel like stepping into this role, it's been more of a 75% stretch. There was a, there was a lot more I didn't know that I didn't know, uh, prior to assuming this role that I have been learning on the job. I am fortunate to have an organization and a board that probably knew that better than I did when they hired me and has also been giving me the support that I need to learn and grow with them. Kathy, over to you. How about your story? Absolutely. I'll jump in after those great stories by Kristen and Leslie and just um, just with a few comments. Uh, I, too, came at this very non-traditional role. I, was a ner- I am a nurse by education and uh, went into the association management of nursing, professional nursing associations. Um, got pigeonholed pretty quickly because I became an executive director as part of being an association management firm, which is very different than being a CEO of a single association. So one of my challenges was that pigeonhole. Mm. Second was when I made a life decision to move from the East Coast, from the mid-Atlantic area to Los Angeles, to California. And the difference in the geographic mix of associations versus philanthropic organizations out here. And like Kristen, I had that challenge of helping boards of philanthropic organizations understand that skills that an association CEO needs can be translated to philanthropic organizations. So that was my second pigeonhole. Uh, and challenge in my career. Um, now it vetted, uh, the common thread that I've had throughout my entire career has been healthcare. And so I've been able to translate that into doing healthcare executive search. Um, so that's kind of been my journey in a sentence or two and the challenges that <laughs> I've had. All right. Well, let me bring all of you back in now. What are some of your suggestions for women that are looking to get into the C-suite and leadership roles? And let me drill down a little further. What would you recommend to these women as they start the process? And how would you mentor a young woman looking to rise through the ranks? Leslie, I'm going to go to you first. Sure. So for individuals looking to get into C-suite and leadership roles, especially females, and I, I have said this and had this as part of conversations um, during interviews or as I'm mentoring people. Oftentimes women, for whatever reason, take more of a I think I can do the role approach in their language 
And I noticed that their same, their peers who have the same level of education and skill talk as if I know I can do it, I've done it before. And I don't know where that's learned. I've noticed it many, many times. And so the ability to be able to talk about what it is you do with a level of confidence, knowing that there are some things you may or may not know 100%, but it really is going to help them to be on par, at least in an interview or at least as they're presenting themselves to other individuals. So I think that's one of the things that I really drilled down on, especially for um, young women that I talk to, because I notice it a lot as I'm interviewing people and how they present themselves. Kristen, I'll go down to you. So I would say that communication piece is probably first and foremost what comes to mind for me. Any management team worth its salt is looking to develop its next generation of leaders. And I was fortunate enough to have bosses in my history as well who said, even if that means for the time being, we develop you out of this organization. And so help you, help you gain the skills that you need, which hopefully will the organization or company will benefit from, but also have to be okay with it may mean temporarily or permanently that you need to go elsewhere to get the experience that you need in order to make this viable. And so I think having that conversation with your management, this is a role, these are roles I'm interested in, or these are experiences I'm interested in. This is the trajectory I think my life is taking or should take, or I want to, to reframe Leslie's there. Not, I think I want this to be the trajectory my life takes. Let's talk about how I can develop. Let's talk about how I can help you. And let's talk about how you can help me. Kathy. I would just amplify what Leslie and Kristen have said, and also offer that the world has changed greatly in the last two and a half years. We also know that women hold more association executive positions now than ever uh, before in the history of association management. And so the time is now. And, you know, the time to think about it is upon us if it hadn't been thought about before. I think trade-offs are very important. I think mentors are extremely important and perhaps different, even different types of mentors, uh, not just one, uh, but different types of mentors. And then lastly, I would just say that, um, uh, you know, in addition to confidence that women uh, today have an important feeling for balance. And, you know, back when I first started, a woman didn't even mention the word balance. (laughs) And balance is important. And I'm talking about balance in every aspect of life, not just work-life balance. But again, I'll get back to Kristen's word of trade-offs. And there are trade-offs that you're going to have to, you know, have to realize at certain times of your career trajectory. And, just decide that that's what you're going to do and and do it. All right, let let's discuss women in leadership roles across all industries. Do you feel that there has been a significant rise in female leaders across the board? Are there specific industries that are lagging and are there enough women in board roles? Kathy, I'm going to go right back to you. 
And the answer to that is no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are not enough women uh, on corporate boards. Uh, and, you know, I have a fair number of friends in the corporate world who have told me stories about unless you've been a CEO. So, example, if you've been president of an extremely large division of a company, you may not get the opportunity to be on a corporate board. So corporate boards have to change for sure. I also think senior executive um, opportunities need to change. And I would cite the pharmaceutical industry, and Leslie's more of an authority on that industry than I am. But I haven't seen it in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, I've seen it somewhat in the hospitality industry, but not as much as we need to see. And um, this is an area where I think we women have to be assertive. And I think those of us who are coming toward the end of our career um, or, you know, headed toward or in our final position like I am, need to really step forward and see if we can help this movement for the next generation. Okay. I, I turn things over now to Kristen. So I would agree with Kathy's assessment and I would also amplify something she said earlier that in the association world, and I, I would rope the nonprofit world into that as well, the number of women in leadership positions feels strong to me. Uh, the Jackson Center is located in the lovely small metropolis of Jamestown, New York. And if I do a quick scan of the surprising number of nonprofits in this area, I would say about 90% of them are run by women. And that includes the community foundations and, and, and everything like that. So I think there is great representation in that field, in that, in that arena. I agree with Kathy that it feels in almost every other arena that that is probably not the case. Um, and I think it has been, I think there is still some stigma of the old boys network and, and how, how that mm. power structure is shifting and changing. And we've been talking a lot about like tends to promote like. And so if you are not actively looking for different talents that come in different packages that come from different experiences, there's a whole, whole lot that is missing from from what could be excellent leadership as and I can't remember if it was Leslie or Kathy who said this at the beginning, that diversity of experience, that diversity of viewpoint is important. And as all studies have shown, the that concept is really what helps businesses, nonprofits, associations thrive and survive. Leslie, to you. Yes, I can't agree more with Kathy and Kristen. Um, the small piece that I'll add to the conversation is I find that some of the leadership roles where people expect um, women to be tend to be the softer skill places, human resources and the like. And so what I would want to amplify is the notion that in the sciences or in finance or in some of the disciplines, for whatever reason, there tends to be a gender differentiation, that those are the areas that I would love to see women um, really uh, making it to those higher levels in those areas because I don't know why, but it tends to not always be that way in certain organizations. Yeah, you're here. All right, are women willing to recommend other women for leadership positions, and is there more that needs to be done in this regard 
or uh, you, you know a call to action, if if you will. Um, uh, Kristen, I'll start with you. Uh, so I, it's hard to give a generic answer to that question because women aren't a collective group of anything. Right. So, uh, you know, certainly early in my legal career, I remember having a conversation with uh, not one of the women partners, but with one of, of her colleagues, uh, who relayed a story to me that her viewpoint was she had to struggle. So why should she make it? easier for other people. And I, I don't see that viewpoint as much anymore. Um, I am, uh, as I said, you know, pretty new in my leadership role. I'm in my late forties. I feel more of a peer relationship with most of the women that I can think of in terms of leadership positions. And so, you know, for example, actually Kathy is someone who I call as part of my kitchen cabinet of, Hey, I'm really struggling with this. I don't quite know how to handle it. And she always takes my phone call and, and, you know, always helps me. And so I feel as if there, I feel as if there is more of that, but I can't say that it's solely that. Mm. Kathy. You know, Rob, I'm going to say, thank goodness it has changed in the almost, gosh, I think 40 years now. Um, you know, I've had my career. Thank goodness it has changed. You know, I came along in the days where, you know, women were highly competitive with each other and it was so counterproductive. It's a bit like being in the cancer space or the HIV space. You know, let's not let's not compete with each other. Let's all work uh, until there's a cure to cancer and until HIV no longer exists. You know, that's really the mentality that we needed in those early years of my career and frankly didn't have. I'm so happy to say that that is not the case anymore. Um, I think um, not only are women uplifting other women, I think perhaps particularly again, to my friends in the corporate sector, women are also lifting up more diverse communities and more uh, inclusive uh, um, uh, principles or principles of inclusion, I should say, uh, for those diverging views that we all need. So we have to continue to do it. There will continue to need to be more but I'm just so happy that it's evolved so that uh, we don't seem to have the same demeanor that we had when I was in my 20s and early 30s. Leslie, how about you? Sure, Kristen, I'm so glad to know that I'm not the only one who leans on Kathy when I need a, some advice or when I'm not <laughs> sure what to do. She is a great example of a person who is willing to share the knowledge that she has because she is rooting for people and she wants them to be successful. Um, I believe that as more women find themselves being able to be helped by other women and being lifted up, that I think that there will be a domino effect of people thinking that that is the norm. I think there was a time to Kathy and Kristen's point when the norm was less around helping someone because let's face it, oftentimes there was only one slot available for that you know, different person and so helping someone didn't necessarily benefit their self-interest. But I believe that now as women start to reach back and pull and help each other um, and give them some of the uh, answers to things that it took them years to find out to help them to avoid a pothole or a bridge that's out, 
it'll allow the whole um, women's movement, if you will, to grow and to really excel at leadership roles. So I think we're on a positive trajectory. I believe that a lot of women understand the need for mentorship and helping out. And I think as you, um, as we start to move forward years down the road, hopefully the fruits of the labors will start to manifest itself. So as our, our final thought here, as our time runs down, what are your expectations for the future of female leaders? Do you expect there to be a larger percentage of female leaders going forward? And what can be done? Does anyone want to go first? I'll throw this one open to everyone. Well, I'll take a crack at it. Um, if I expect moving forward that you'll see more authenticity. I think before um, female leaders of yesteryear, if you will, had to basically try to be like their male counterparts. You know, they tried to wear the boxy suits. They tried to make sure that they didn't stand out. They would sometimes cut their hair. You know, they did a lot of things to fit in in the, in the club, if you will. I think now more and more women feel comfortable enough to be themselves, their whole selves, to come to the table knowing that they're imperfect and that's okay. And so that's what I hope to see moving forward with female leadership. I think for me, it's there is greater comfort in saying, I don't know. And I, I don't know that women, I'm actually making an assumption that women did not feel comfortable saying that in the past, women in leadership, because that was automatically seen as, well, then you're not qualified or to, um, to Leslie's point, you think you can do the job, but you're not, you're not saying that you can do the job. And I think that that, I think we've come to accept that no one can possibly know everything. And a woman especially doesn't have to know everything in order to be able to, to do the job. I do think there is still a little bit of um, residual, you have to be better, you have to be a little bit smarter, you have to have done a little bit more sometimes in order to get your foot in the door. But I also see that diminishing, which is helpful. I think to Leslie's point too, it's a lot, there's a lot to be said for the own, your own confidence that you bring to an interview and to a discussion. And that goes a long way towards mitigating or mediating any questions someone might have about your ability to lead. And I, I would just close with something that we share in the world of executive search all the time. Bring your best authentic self each and every day. Do your homework um, and, you know, worry about the contribution you're making to Leslie's point. We don't have to worry anymore about fitting into the box as much as we used to. Um, and just bring your best, smartest, authentic self. I thank all of you for your perspective today. It's, it's really been, it's been good for me and I hope it's been wonderful for our audience as well. So I'm really grateful to all of you. Uh, you've shared such great insight into your career journeys and insight on how to continue to help advance women into leadership roles. Honestly, thank all three of you. Uh, it, it's been a, a, a great joy. Leslie, Kathy, and Kristen, thank you all. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Rob. 
Well, that's all the time we have here today. Alongside Catherine Brown, Leslie Stokes, and Kristen McMahon, I'm Rob Adams, and this has been Talent Talks. 